So we're in Ephesians 4. I've titled this message, The Truth About the World. The Truth About the World. <clears throat> and let me define world uh, before I, I, I move any further today. The world is life apart from Christ. That can be individually, that can be collectively. It is simply life apart from Christ. So with that in mind, we now look at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at 17 through 19. Would you stand as I read? Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to, up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's pray. Lord, I confess this is a difficult passage to read. Lord, I, I confess that our world that we live in certainly reflects what we have read we also confess before you that the world around us does not want to admit it. That there are those who have gathered in this place at this hour who will not want to admit what is said here is true. That we want to treat this as an overstatement. Lord, thank you for the brutal honesty of Scripture. And I pray now that we truly will reflect on the truth about life apart from Christ. Speak to us, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I just want to offer this before I get into this message. Um, there will be some conviction here today. Okay? And here's what I found in my years of preaching. <laughs> When a sermon gets convicting, lots of people have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay. This is going to require my concentration today to stay on point and to not get off. So I'm asking, unless you just got to go, that you just hold your seat. And uh, if we get crying babies this morning, if you could move them on out so that I don't lose my choo-choo train of thought I would, uh, I would appreciate that. Um, so with that said, folks, what we are entering into in, in Ephesians, really we've already started there, but it's really going to become clear that the rest of the, the, the letter to Ephesians is, is about two things. Put off the old self and put on the new self. Put off the old and put on the new. It all started with this verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, what, what, what we're doing now, if you could argue the first three chapters of Ephesians are doctrine. I, I really would argue through Ephesians 4, uh, verse 16, you have doctrine, though it's applied there. But what we have is applied doctrine. We're now going to heed what we believe. We're going to see the implications of of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And what you have in verses 17 through 19 is an honest assessment of the world. It's an honest assessment of life apart from Christ. 
Now, with that said, and I, and I hope you'll see this at the end this morning as we draw this to a conclusion, this actually is a very hopeful teaching. It's hopeful in that here's what God is saying to us. You can live for Christ in the midst of a broken world. You can live for Jesus at a time, in a period, when things are utterly and completely upside down. That's where we live. We live in an upside down, broken, sinful world. Now, verse 17 begins with this. Now I say and testify in the Lord. Paul could have just said, now I say to you. But he says, I testify in the Lord. And this is a solemn reminder that what he is saying is from God. It comes with the authority of the Lord. So this morning I come to share with you to preach the word of God with authority. Not from myself or not from you, but authority from God. And there are three, at least three, there, there are more than three, but there are three possible negative responses that you can have to this sermon. Number one, you can dismiss it. You can intellectually highbrow dismiss what I'm saying as some ignorant fundamentalist preacher. Number two, you can get defensive. You can get in your car and argue and say he overstated that. That was a lot more than should have been said. Or number three. There's a big temptation for number three in this room. You can go doomsday. The world's sinking. It's quicksand. Everything's bad. It's awful, awful, awful. And preacher, you just reminded us this morning how bad it is. This was written 2,000 years ago. And what's going on in 2013 in the United States of America is not new. It's not. And you're going to see the timeless truth of Scripture define and describe where you live today. Two points. First, the life of the world originates from a futile mind and a hardened heart. This is where it gives birth. A life apart from Christ. Life of the world, living for the world, in the world. It comes from a futile mind and a hardened heart. He says, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Here's what's interesting. Are the Ephesians Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. And here's what he says to them. Don't live like Gentiles. That'd be kind of like me writing to you and saying, don't live like Americans. And you'd have to pause for a second and scratch your head and say, well, I am an American. Here's what he's saying. You are now a new people. You are a kingdom of priests. You, you are God's people. You are no longer defined as a Gentile, an American, a Southerner, a redneck, an intellectual, whatever the, the label you had on your life. 
If you are now a follower of Christ, you have a brand new label. And quit living like, quit acting like that which you once were. Because here's what you once were. Whatever you fill in the blank with Gentile, you can put whatever label man has come up with. You can plug it in right there. And here's where they all live. In the futility of their minds. That means an empty way of thinking. Now listen very carefully what's going to come out. The next sentence is going to come out of my mouth. Futility of mind does not in any way, shape, fashion, or form mean you're dumb. You can have an incredibly high IQ and live in the futility of your mind. A futile mind is a mind apart from Christ. It means that the in pursuit, that that which you are thinking about, that which you are pursuing, that which you are strategizing for is empty whether you realize it or not. I dare say that every one of you in this room at some point, maybe on on more profound ways than others, but at some point in your life, you have realized that the thing or things you have been pouring your time and your energy into are a waste of time. And you thought when you started, it was incredibly important. You know what got you started there? It's the futility of mind. It is this empty way of thinking which we approach things in life. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. This is right after Psalms and Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is, a, is a depressing book without the very end. Very depressing. Because the the, the point of Ecclesiastes is to show you, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now the word futile in Ephesians 4.17 and the word vanity here mean the same thing, empty. Empty. Empty, empty, everything is empty. Verse seven, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow there. They flow again. All things are full of weariness and a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing and the ear filled with hearing. This is a word picture that, 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 that rivers, the river is running into the sea and it never fills the sea up. It means... This image is, is that we as as human beings, we pursue and we pursue and we pursue, but we never achieve. You say, well, yes, we do, pastor. We achieve. Oh, do you really? So it's enough when you finally achieve that thing which you're after. It was enough. So, so, so I'll use myself. So when you catch the 10 pound bass, that's enough. So why do you go again? What's driving you? What are you pursuing? This endless pursuit, one author wrote, this pursuit blossoms, but it never produces fruit. It's 
smells good, it looks good, but it never produces that which you're after, that which you're longing for. So this begs the question, why do you continue to pursue? If it's futile, what's driving you? This is scary stuff. This is, why, this is why we get defensive. This is why we want to get dismissive because we don't want to admit what continues to be said here. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I'm back in Ephesians. I want you to turn with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and then verse 12. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, followed, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now this is the truth about your spiritual state and what Paul does here, he hints at how you got there. And, and why you are at this, this state to where you're alienated from God and, and, and how you're at this state to where you are by nature children of wrath. But what he does in, in verse 18 is he goes deeper and he explains this, this condition more. So let's go back to verse 18 and let's break it apart. You're darkened in your understanding. Here's what it means. You are unable to understand Or you could translate it this way. You're not ready to learn. You're not ready to learn. So I watch you when I'm preaching, by the way. The people I'm talking to right now already are not paying me attention. But I got about five minutes into this and some people just went, whoop. Now, now they went there for a couple of reasons. They went there for a couple of reasons. One, one is this started convicting them right off. So the easy thing was to do was to stop paying attention. Here's the other reason people stopped paying attention to me. They are not ready to learn. They're darkened. That's why when you're, you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, you think you got traction, you're going somewhere, and all of a sudden, whoop, it's a spiritual condition. Darkened in their understanding. Then he, pres he presses it further. He says, alienated from the life of God. That means you're foreigners, you're outsiders to the life of God. It's a scary place to be. Here's what's even more scary. It's scary to be there and to be here at the same time. That there are those of you sitting in this room right now who look around when, when people are singing, all I have is Christ, all I need is Christ, and you're thinking, what is wrong with these people? What do they do? I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Let's just be honest. I don't want that. Why? Because here's, here, here's the frightening truth. You're alienated from the life of God. 
You're an outsider. You're looking in, but you're an outsider. Why? Why are you there? Why are you there? Here's the answer. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance. Some of you want to fight right now. That preacher just said I was ignorant. And I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say it. Here's what God repeatedly says. God repeatedly says, and we're going to get to this verse toward the end of the message, that claiming to be wise, they became, does anybody know? Fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. These people are everywhere in our culture. They're highly educated. They make lots of money and they say things that sound absolutely profound. And here's what God says. It's just foolish. It's empty. There's, there's nothing to it because it is, it is from ignorance. Now, what kind of ignorance is he talking about? Here's the end of it. Here's where it all begins. Do to the hardness of their heart. It is a heart of stone. This is a spiritual condition. Listen to me. And this spiritual condition cannot be changed by education alone. And this spiritual condition of a hardened heart will not be fixed with morality. In fact, morality will make it harder. Well, where will this hard heart lead you? Where's it going? If it is not changed, where will this spiritual hardened heart lead? Now, here's where it gets scary. Here's where it gets frightening. Here's why you're afraid in our culture. Because for the first time in our culture, we're seeing verse 19 lived out. We're seeing it happen. The life of the world becomes, it doesn't start here, but it becomes this. It becomes an increasing selfish, sinful pursuit. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, here's what the word callous means. It means a place with no feeling. What what have people become callous to? It means they have lost the feeling of shame. 1 Timothy 4.2 says it's a seared conscience that their conscience has been burned over to where they don't feel anymore. And as a result of this calloused, hardened heart, they have handled, handed themselves over to sensuality, to licentiousness. Now track with me here. I'm not attacking anything personally. You do the math in your own mind and you, you come to your own convictions. But you got to track with me here. Disney is based on morality. There's no God in Disney at all. But there's a sense of a semblance of morality. But that morality is not Godward, didn't come from God. It is not based on any kind of Godward idea. It's Godless. Study Walt Disney and you'll find out. It is a Godless morality. So we bring this young lady into this Godless morality. And we heighten her in our culture to where, as an adolescent, she reaches fame. 
And then two weeks ago, does an absolute sensuous, incredible act in front of the whole world at 20 years old, and everybody's going, oh! And you to listen to what she said. I'm quoting Miley Cyrus herself. You listen carefully to her words. What's amazing is, I think now, we're three days later and people are still talking about it. They're overthinking it. You're thinking about it more than I thought about it when I did it. Like I didn't even think about it because that's just me. And to that point, Cyrus isn't going to let her detractors hold her back. She's doing things her way, defining her career on her own terms. After all, though she may just be 20 years old, she certainly knows a thing or two about pop history. Quote, Miley again, I don't pay attention to the negative because I've seen this play out so many times. How many times have we seen this play out in pop music? Madonna's done it. Britney's done it. Every VMA performance, that's what you're looking for. You're wanting to make history. To which I say to Miley, Miley, look at Britney Spears. That's what you want? That's what you want? Is that where you're going? Is that, is that what you're after? You see, what you have here is a description, of, and listen to me, don't, don't, don't come up to me and lecture me about Miley Cyrus. I prayed for Miley Cyrus as I prepared this sermon. Now I'm going to say something highly convicting. Some of you would give your daughters to become Miley Cyrus. Why? Because in the end, here's what we want. I just want to make history. And I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever because here's what happens in this relentless pursuit, this empty pursuit of mankind. When you become callous enough, you just give yourself over to sensuality. Now, sensuality is a whole lot wider word than sexual things. Sensuality simply means licentiousness. The license to do whatever you feel like. Now, from licentiousness, here's what people do. They become greedy. Greedy to practice every kind of evil, every kind of impurity. And they're willing to exploit and take advantage of themselves and others to practice. The word practice here means to make it your business, to make it your business to every kind of impurity, any and all kind of immorality or filth. And there's never enough, ever enough. So many years ago, Mick Jagger wrote, and that man comes on the radio and he's telling me more and more and about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. What do you think he's talking about right there? He is likely talking about a preacher on the radio. And then he says this. I can't get no, 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 hey, hey, that's it. I can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try 
and I try. So he wrote in the 70s, or he said this. I'm quoting him. This is in the 70s. I'd rather be dead than singing satisfaction when I'm 45. Well, Mitch, you're 70. Why did he say that as a young man? I'd rather be dead than singing this song. Here's why. Because the very song itself is a testimony to the very nature of his heart. So this week, Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, Ariel Castro, after holding three young women hostage as sexual slaves and after being convicted for the crime, took a sheet and hung himself in his cell. Why? Because he tried and he tried and he tried, but he can't get no. He can't get no satisfaction. And you say, well, preacher, we're not Ariel Castro's. Listen to me. Ariel Castro's are living on your street. They just haven't given themselves yet the freedom to do what he did. That's why a man could take a handicapped individual slaughter them and cut them into pieces in Gastonia, North Carolina last week. Folks, you have no idea what your heart's capable of, but God does. And here's what God says, that life in the world is a continual destructive pursuit that is down and down and down. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God, verse 18, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So here's what's happened in modern time. Modern time has said God had nothing to do with creation. So here is the inevitable conclusion, folks. If you reject that God had nothing to do with creation, you're, you're rejecting the one thing God has made clear to everybody is that he created the world. And when you reject that one thing, you are in trouble. Big trouble. So this is where we are, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. Do the math here. Here's how you got there. God gave them. For the women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and deceiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. For they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Listen to me, if you're under 25, I want you to look at me right now and you want you to listen to me. Here's what ought to scare you slap to death. You live in a culture that not only now does things that our culture did and your mom and your grandparents did, but now your culture said, way to go. That better scare you. You better sit up on the edge of your seat and you better be scared to death because here's what the evidence of that is. That is evidence of God's judgment. Folks, it isn't coming. Stop saying that. It's coming. Quit saying it's coming. It's here. It is here. Now, here's what some of you are doing right now. I ain't ever coming back here ever <laughs> again. I can't believe somebody would preach like that in the 21st century. How dare you say something like this? Now, you doomsdayers, you listen to me. Romans 1 is here. But following Romans chapter 1 is Romans chapters 2 through 16. And here's what we're not going to, by the way, this is not a trap door I'm like going to come up out of sometime. <laughs> But here's what some of you want to do right now. Is take the lid off of a place like this, climb in this hole, and live there. Ephesians 4.17 says, don't keep living like the Gentiles who are destroying themselves. But you, you live like who you are. You are followers of Christ. So here's the so what this morning. Here, here's, the, here's the conclusion. Here's the application. Here's the question. How can we be rescued from the futility of mind and selfish pursuits in the midst of a sinful world? How? I'm going to read a quote. This man's name is David Foster Wallace. Quote, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never get enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and your beauty and your sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before you finally, as they grieve you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need more and more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about all these swarms of worship is they're unconscious. They are default settings. You see, that's really the core issue of mankind. We're worshipers. And we'll find something. We will find something to worship. And by the way, 
David Foster Wallace was an unbeliever. And just a few months after this commencement address, he he delivered in a college in 2008. He did the same thing Ariel Castro did. He went into his garage and he hung himself. Here's why. He understood as a philosopher that there was a problem. That we were on this empty pursuit of worship. Here's the problem with Mr. Wallace. He didn't have the answer. Here's the answer. Turn to John 16. John 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Notice, Jesus did not say you might. He said you will. You will have tribulation. Life on this earth will be hard, but here's what you remember. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. So Jesus says he's overcome the world. That means he has overcome this hardened, calloused, sinful pursuit of self. He's overcome that. And here's what he says. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, let me come at this negative to positive. Here's the problem I have standing right here in Gastonia, North Carolina, preaching in the midst of a dying Bible belt, and it is dying, You better come to terms with that. We're now in a rapidly moving post-Christian culture in the South. Here's the problem I have, is that I am preaching, and there are those of you out there who say, I, I, I have faith, I believe in Jesus, but you are completely caught up in that sinful pursuit, just like the guy who's still asleep at home. What's what's the difference? Here's the difference. You You have bought into the religious South that says, do this, check this off, and check this off, and check this off. Now, it can be different things. It can have all kinds of different things in the list, but here's one of the things on the list. Pray this prayer. I'm a Christian. That is not faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what faith in Jesus Christ is, folks. Here's what it is. Is that you come to understand that this is a lost, broken, sinful world that is completely and utterly caught up in itself. And that into this world came the sinless Son of God who lived a perfect, righteous life on this earth. And he was so intimidating, they killed him because he was righteous. They murdered him. They took him and they hung him on the cross in in the place of a man that should have died there that day. His name was Barabbas. Jesus hung in his place. 
because the religious people and the Gentiles, it wasn't just the religious, they wanted him dead, they wanted him gone. But see, God had a bigger plan. He had a cosmic plan because there on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God. Here's what God saw. He saw that Jeff Long was on a sinful pursuit, that he was trying, trying, trying. And laying in bed at night by himself, completely empty, scared to death, and getting up the next morning and trying again and trying and trying and trying. And one day he broke through my my hardened heart. And he removed the heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh. And on that day, here's what I saw. I saw that the sinless Savior died in my place and took my sin. And that three days later, he placed in a grave dead, he rise from the dead, showing that he is the one who has overcome the world. All religions are the same. Nope. Only one have a resurrected Savior. Only one, only one has overcome the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he didn't formulate some list for you to check off and some oppressive thing for you to have to to do to get to him. He came to you. In the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your lostness, he came to you. And here's what the Bible says. All who call on the name of the Lord all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all who look to Christ as the only hope for their salvation, all who come to him will no wise be cast out. The big conclusion of where he's going in Romans 1, which, man, that is a depressing chapter. It doesn't get any better in 2 and 3. And then it comes down to this conclusion. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You believe that, friend, and new life. The veil is lifted. So here's the choice today. This is the choice. And some of you sadly are going to choose what I'm going about to say. Here's the choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved or continue your futile pursuit. And if you're going to, this is going to scare some of you what I'm going to say, but there's meaning behind what I'm going to say. If you're going to continue the futile pursuit, do it with all you've got. Pour everything you've got into it, friend. Go for it. Go harder than you've ever gone before. Because today you have heard the clarity of it. Quit playing the religious game. Cast it all off and go. And see if it works. And one day when you walk up in your lonely bed with nobody else there, here's what you remember. Christ died for you, friend. He died for you. He died for your sin and he and he alone can change you.
You don't need to do better. That's the last thing you need to do is do better. You need to be changed. You need to be born again. And that is through Christ alone. Now look in verse 17 again, chapter 4. Here's where we're going for the next several months. Here's where we are headed in the rest of the study of the book of Ephesians. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So young person, old person, whoever you are, if you're in Christ, you are now a new creation. And Jesus Christ did not redeem you to keep living like a pagan. He did not redeem you to continue to live an empty, futile life. He has saved you for purpose. He has redeemed you for purpose. So put off the old self, put on the new self who is in Christ and follow him. Now listen to me. Those of you who are thinking, okay, well, you know, preacher, I don't, you know, I'm not Miley Cyrus and I don't drink and do all the kind of things. Here's where we're going the next few months. You ready? Tell the truth. Quit lying at work and tell the truth. That's what a Christian does. Quit exploding on your children in anger and respond in love because that's what a Christian does. That's the kind of nitty-gritty it's going to get into and what it means to put off the old and put on the new and quit thinking and living like a Gentile. But follow Christ in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking. Now, God, I cry out to you on behalf of every hopeless soul in this room that they will believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. That even now, if they have not already, that they would confess before you that they are utterly sinful and they are in deep need of a Savior and that they believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save them from their sin. May throughout this room there be people who are expressing repentance to you and crying out to you for salvation. And Lord, may there be a deep sense of conviction among the believers who are present that we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles. It's not just about our behavior. It's much deeper, God. It's about what we think. That you have changed everything about us, God. And I pray that we would believe you and own what we've claimed to believe this day. Do your sovereign work among us. Do your saving work among us, God. Save people here. And those who are saved, may it have utter effect on their life. Lead us as we respond now. In Jesus' name, amen.